but very seldom do we think about it, right? I don't even know what grace is. I mean, I know if somebody trips, right? You say, oh, that, you're graceful, right? (laughs) And we seem to throw out these words, yet we don't have an understanding of what they are. And so I began to study the word grace, and and um, a long time ago, and my old aunt, she, she used this acronym, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. And I thought, oh, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's still pretty vague, right? That's pretty vague. You say, well, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Well, what does that mean, and how does that apply to me? Here I am, I'm a Christian, I should be living by grace, and yet no one can define this word. This word is... is, is it, it, there's no definition to describe it. Well, you know, it used to be in the olden days when we had a question on something, we would call somebody who knows. Like Carl Jeremello, good friend of mine forever, if I'm painting something, I need paint, or I got a question about paint, I'll give Carl a call, and Carl will answer all my questions about that. Yet nowadays, the world's different, huh? You know, we don't call people anymore because our cell phone knows everything, Right? So we just push a little button and we say, what is grace? I did that the other day. My phone says, in Christian circles, grace means the unearned, um, free um, favor of God. I'm like, wow, okay. So, the unearned, unmerited favor of God. Well, that's good. That's a good definition. But I think grace goes even further and deeper than that. And this week I actually had, the or last week, I had the opportunity every year, I live in a beautiful little community called Gridley, California, and it has the most beautiful graveyard in the world. And they have a military court of honor, and every year on Memorial Day, which was last weekend, I go really early in the morning and I just sort of walk through. Because in order to be in the military court of honor, you had to have given your life in service of the country. And that's a sobering experience, I'll tell you what, when you walk down there and you look at, at the young people that gave their lives in service of the country. And I got to thinking about myself, you know, to myself, if it wasn't for all these men, I wouldn't have the freedoms that I have. You see, they paid the ultimate price to give to me something that I didn't ask for, that I certainly didn't deserve, that I didn't pay for, Yet these men went ahead and did it anyway. And the wheels started turning in my head. Well, that is grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't pay for it. I didn't even ask for it. Yet I have it. And then to take that story a little further, as I was walking through the military court of honor, a little family was over there, and all of a sudden this young girl, 10 years old, just started crying hysterically. And I was only about five, six feet away. And I heard these words, and these words broke my heart. She said, Daddy, I don't even remember you anymore. But I want you to know, I love you, and you'll always be my hero. And that's when the word grace hit home. You see, somebody was willing to give it all without me asking for it, without me paying for it, without, without me even knowing that they had done it. 
They were willing to give it all so that I might have what I have today. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we ask as we begin to study your word today, Father, that you open up our hearts, that truly, Lord, that you take the blinders off of our eyes, that we focus on you and your grace, that we might be empowered to go out into this world and to share your love and your mercy with a world in need. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take out your outlines out of your bulletins. And number one, you'll find what is the meaning of grace? What is the meaning of grace? That's what we're here to find out today. Number one, it's an attribute of God. Psalms 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. In other words, that is in essence who God is. How many of you have an attribute in your life? How many of you have talent? Okay? Very few. Whoa, come on. You know, we have talents. We have things that are that, that when people think of you, what do they think about? Those are your attributes. And grace is an attribute of God. When people think about God, they don't think about a God that walks to and fro throughout the world waiting for you to mess up so He can stomp on you. No, you think of God as being a loving God just like your parents who when you made a mistake, they came alongside you and they picked you up and they embraced you. Is that the way you think about God? Raise your hand. That's the way we think about God is, is that God loves you. How many of you know that God loves you this morning? All right. We all should know that. That should be the essence of who we are is knowing that we live within the favor of God even when we're bad. How many of you have been bad? All right. We got an honest crowd here today. Some churches you ask that, how many of you have been bad? No, 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 no. The Bible says confess your sins, right? So there, we did it. We, we've covered that one today. Grace is an attribute of God. That's who God is. God shows us mercy. And in the Greek, the word charis is known for both, both grace and mercy. So when you think of mercy, what do you think of? Somebody giving something to you that you don't deserve. How many of you just wish next time you go to court over a speeding ticket, the judge would show you mercy, right? Well, I want to tell you that when we break the laws of God, God shows us mercy each and every day. Number one in your outline. Grace comes through Jesus Christ. John 1, 17 and 18 said, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made Him known. You see, we didn't realize um, for till Jesus came on earth, humanity didn't realize that God was even graceful. They were burdened by all these laws and everything. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? If you raise your hand, I'm going to have you get up here and tell them. Okay. So, most of us in the room can't even name all Ten Commandments, right, out of the Bible. We can't do it. That's too much to remember, right? Well, you want to remember that 
Not only that, but the Jewish leaders throughout the whole Old Testament took those original Ten Commandments, they turned them into 242 commandments, 365 prohibitions, and man, people were burdened by that. I mean, we have a hard time with ten, right? We have a hard time with ten. And they just kept drawing the line saying, well, let's not get this club. We'll put a line right here. And they just, the Levitical laws just kept adding up and adding up and adding up and adding up. And pretty soon the, 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 the law became burdensome. You know, in our state here in California, each year they pass over 2,000 more laws. And you go to court and you say, Judge, I didn't know. He says, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, how can we keep track of that? Right? God is a merciful God. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ came into the world. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't make it harder, did He? When Jesus was, was asked, you know, which of the commandments is the greatest? What did Jesus say? Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. He says, within these two are all the ten contained. Wow, isn't that a lot easier? How many of you can remember that? That's a lot easier than the ten, right? Certainly a lot easier than 242 commandments and 365 prohibitions, right? So Jesus made it easy. He showed us, began to show us that God is merciful, that God is forgiving, and that God wants to have a personal relationship with us in spite of ourselves. Do we deserve it? No. Did we earn it? No. Have we paid for it? No. Did we even have to ask for it? No. Why? Because it's a free gift from God. Grace is a free gift from God and it comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.15 says, But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many? You see, Jesus is God's grace manifested to man. So the acronym that my aunt used to throw out, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, was pretty true. Amen? I get to receive a relationship with God because of the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ. I didn't earn it. I didn't pay for it. I didn't even ask for it. Yet I have it. Number three in your outline. Grace is eternal. What does eternal mean? It means it has no beginning and it has no ending. That it has been from all time. I don't know about you, but it's pretty hard for me to, to imagine something that lasts forever, right? Seems like everything I want to have last forever only lasts for a short while. Like my last cell phone. I mean, I just loved that thing. It would do anything. And um, I, I saved up, I saved up, and pretty soon I got, I got it, man. I, it was just, it was, it was that big, it was that little tablet, it would do anything. It would get up and carry me around if I asked it to. 
It would talk back at me and everything, and I really liked it, and I had it for four days. And of course, you know me, I'm a tightwad. You, you, know, you know my best buddy here, Dan, you know, we're pretty cheap, so when it comes to insurance, um, you know, it's like, ah, no, you know, I'll take care of it. Well, guess what? It fell out of my pocket, and my boot heel hit it, and that was the end of that. See, the things we want to last forever and to be eternal, we find out that they're only temporary. Amen? We find out that really everything in this world is temporary, so when we start thinking about eternity, it's really hard for us to grasp that in our head. How many of you can, can just um, imagine eternity forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever? It's just not within our minds, our human minds, to comprehend that word. But yet the grace of God is eternal. Second Timothy 1.9 says, He who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace, this grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. Before we were even born, God had already dispensed His grace upon mankind through Jesus Christ. You say, well, how did God do that? Well, first of all, God's not limited by time and space like we are. You know, unfortunately, um, we, we got limitations, folks. We all have limitations. We can't be everywhere at the same time. We, we, and very few of us know everything, Amen. We'd like to think we do. We're not near as smart as our cell phones anymore, right? Our cell phone. How many of you got a cell phone that's smarter than you? Okay. <laughs> God does know everything. He's eternal. He has been. He has been in the Garden of Eden, and he's been at the end day on Earth. He's seen it all. He already knows it all. And it all makes sense to Him. He knows how things are going to work out in the end. And you know, as we live by grace, as you live by grace in your life, you have to realize that God, first of all, is smarter than you. Amen? And secondly, that God wants what's best for you in your life. And if you can just hold those two truths in your heart as you face situations, you can realize that you have the power through God to conquer the world. You have that power within you because of the grace of God to face any challenge the world throws at you, any challenge that the devil throws at you, any challenge that even your wife or your husband throws at you. You can face those with confidence. Amen? Because why? Because God's grace is eternal. Here's the best part, number four in your outline, is that God's grace is free. It cannot be bought. Romans 3.24 says, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Isn't that great that God's grace is free, that we don't have to earn God's grace? Can you imagine trying to live and to please God 100% of the time and being afraid that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have salvation if you made a mistake? 
If you made one mistake, then, then or let's just say a 50-50. How many of you would like to live life on a 50-50 basis? So I was a little bit better, so I get to go to heaven, or I was a little worse, so I get to go somewhere else, right? And um, how would you like to live that, you know, balancing the scale? Wouldn't, would that be a victorious life? Would that be the kind of life that you'd like to live in under? You know, good or bad? It's so much better to know that God's grace is free. It can't be earned. It can't be earned. It can't be bought. It's just given. And it's free of cost. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's free, folks. Has somebody ever given you a gift? Something you really wanted? Something that was just something you really needed? And have you taken that gift and used it? Or did you just take it up and you put it up on a shelf and you look at it every day saying, wow, there it is. I really need it. I really like it, but I'm not going to use it. A lot of times that's what we do with the grace of God. We take it and we put it on a shelf. And we save it for old age when we get really close to dying. Right? But no, the only problem with that is, folks, we don't know when our hour's up. We don't know when our time's up. That could be today. It could be five minutes from now. It might be 30 seconds from now. Or it could be 100 years from now. We don't know. And so we need to take that package that Christ gave us for free. We need to take it off the shelf and we need, need to begin to use it in our life and live a victorious life that God wants us to live. A lot of times we, we, we get the wrong idea about grace. Um, how many of you have ever thought a thought, you've done something really good and said, oh, God's going to bless me for that? How many? I have done it. I'll, I'll admit it. God's really going to bless Something just ha- oh, it came back on. Um, <laughs> we were having problems with the, the microphone earlier today, so I'm a little paranoid about it. <laughs> God's grace, though, can be resisted. Number five in your outline. It can be resisted. And we're going to look at some things that can hinder and limit the grace in our life. And letter A in your outline is bitterness. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. How many of you like to be around somebody that um, causes problems all the time? How many of you have ever been around somebody that causes problems? They're just always complaining. They're always griping about something, right? We all know somebody. I see some smiles, so... All right? We all know somebody. And and, and is that productive? I call that the victim mentality. And I know a lot of people that have that. No matter what you do. How's your day? Oh, it's, it's horrible. Why? What happened? I don't know. It's just horrible. You know, and when you live your life saying everything's horrible, then all of a sudden your eyes are, are on what the world's 
doing and not what on God is doing in your life. You know, I know last, well, three weeks ago, I threw my back out. I was lifting a piano. I shouldn't have been doing it. I'm way too old to do things like that. Took a step backward over a little step about that big, and it just went snap. And I, and I mean, I went, I was miserable. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you can't breathe, you can't cough, you can't, you can't get out of bed. I mean, you roll over, and, you, and, and I mean, it's horrible. But you know what? I looked at it like a great thing. I said, you know what? I've been wanting to sleep in for... You know, thank you, Lord. You know, because the Lord need, knows that sometimes we need rest. So and no matter what circumstance you have in your life, it's a way you approach that circumstance. Whether you receive God's grace and, and live in God's grace, or you live in, in bitterness... And anger and say, oh, I can't believe this couldn't have happened at a worse time in my life. You know what? When you live in bitterness, you get more and more bitter, right? But when you live in God's grace, you get happy in whatever circumstance you're in. You learn to live with the victorious life in Christ. But bitterness can take the God's grace away. Why? Because it takes your focus off of God and puts it on your circumstance. And it should be God that's a driving force in your life and not the one or two little minor setbacks that you face. Amen? God should be what controls you, not your circumstance. Letter B is pride. James 4.6 says, But He gives, more gra- gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Wow. God opposes the proud. How many of you like attaboys? Come on. Come on. I'm not the only one. My arms actually almost hang down to my knees because God knew I like to pat myself on the back. That's the only, that's the only reason I, I know that. For a short guy, I got really long arms, and I, I can't. I can... I can can put my hand all the way across my back. Um, I like attaboys. We all like those, right? But when we begin to build ourselves up to the point we begin to tear other people down, then we begin to, to not be so good, right? I take pride in who I am, but I take pride in who I am through Jesus Christ. I throw Him into the mix, and that way He gets the glory for the things that I do. And a lot of times, we like to think that we can accomplish things on our own without God. How many of you have ever started a project that was a little bit over your head, but you thought you could do it? I think everybody has, right? And um, I remember one Christmas, my my kids, I I got this swing set for them. And I'm very mechanically inclined. I I really am. It's just a gift that God's given me, and, and I'm not bragging or anything. But I'm also really stupid because I open the box. I think I can do it on my own. The, the box comes out. The instructions goes out. I throw them in the fireplace. I burn them. And then all of a sudden I begin this project. And I start putting these nuts and bolts together and everything. And, and, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, where are those instructions? Where, where, where did they go? And, and, and we begin to do that. Why? Because we think more highly of ourselves than what we ought to think instead of with sober judgment. 
And that causes chaos in our lives. Believe me, it's no fun to stick your hand in a burning fire trying to find a book of instructions. And it's even less fun to have to go to the store the next day and, and, and say, hey, um, that swing set I bought didn't come with an instruction book. And they said, yeah, it did. You just threw it away, right? <laughs> Pride can get in our way. When we begin to think we're something that we're not without God, that begins to limit God's ability to dispense grace in our life. Our pride should be in Him and, and, in, and in who we are in Him instead of who we are in the world. Because when we become prideful and boastful in ourselves, what we do is we begin to belittle the other people around us. How many of you have ever felt like you were being belittled by somebody as they build themselves up, they tear you down at the same time? Folks, I want to tell you, that is not living in grace. That's living outside of the realm of grace. When you have to tear other people down to build yourself up, you are no longer living the life that God intended for you to live. Letter C in your outline is self-reliance. has a lot to do with pride, right? Self-reliance. The whole book of Galatians is about people wanting to mix grace with works. Because the church at Galatia, and you're going to have to read this all on your own, but read the whole book. It won't take you more than five minutes. The church at Galatia, what they did is, is they began to mix obedience to the law with grace, with Christianity. So they took those you know, 242 commandments, 365 prohibitions, and they were teaching that you have to live by those. You have to live by those, and then God will dispense grace into your life. And so that what they were doing is they were mixing it up. And sometimes we think, you know, in order to receive God's grace, we have to be walking the straight and narrow. Just like this, and oh, make sure, make sure we're not getting off the line, right? How many of you think that that's the way God wants you to live? No, God just wants us to go through life and do the best that we can and look to Him for guidance and direction. And yeah, we're going to make a mistake along the way. We're going to make a mistake, but that's where grace comes in. God is right there. We can't rely on ourselves to save ourselves. Amen? How many of you can save yourself? We can't do it. The Bible says, even, even if you haven't done anything horrible, that one little thought, can send you to hell. One little thought. Self-reliance can hinder and limit grace in our life. Number six in your outline. Grace is limitless. Romans 5.20 said, The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Grace increased. As the sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, what does that mean? That means as we go through and make mistakes, God comes along beside us and He takes care of those mistakes as we go. As we fall off the path, God stands beside us and puts us back on 
and we can walk through our life and be the person God wants us to be. doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we're following and we're walking beside a perfect God who knows our flaws, who knows that we're going to fail, but who picks us up. My little grandson, tell you what, I really thought he was slow. He, you know, got up at seven months and he took like five steps and I was all so proud, right? Then he sat down. And then he was 13 months and he still wasn't up walking. And then he hit 14th month, you know, which is way later. I have 11 grandkids, so I'm an expert at this, right? They should be walking by now. And then all of a sudden he got up and he began to walk. And he just runs all over the house. He just didn't want to. But, you know, as he first began to walk, and it's really funny, is that, you know, for me, I don't know, have you ever, have you ever felt pain of somebody else? Like when my grandkids stub their toe, you know, I sort of feel it in my toe. It's like, you know, I, I can feel that. And all I want to do is walk behind them and make sure that they don't fall. And I realize that the grace of God is that God does that to us. He's standing right there. He doesn't want us to fall, yet He lets us continue to try to do it, you know, so that we learn something. And sometimes falling is good for us because we learn a lesson. Amen? How many of you have ever hurt yourself but learned a lesson doing it? I remember, I like to tell this story because it's really funny, is um, when I was a little kid, you know, we didn't have forced air furnaces back in those days. And it's not that I'm ancient, but I am old, right? And we had electric wall heaters, and they had the little steel grates on them. How many of you remember those things? Well, I used to get out of the, when I was a little tiny baby, I used to get out of the bathtub, and it was cold. I lived up in Alturas, and at that time it used to snow up there pretty deep. And I'd run, and I'd stand behind that, or in front of that heater, and I'd begin to back up. And my mom and dad said, Stay away from that heater, you know, but it just felt so good backing up there. And I couldn't understand why they were always trying to get me away from that heater until one day I backed right into it. And I still have this reminder of little squares to remind me. But I learned my lesson. You know, no matter how hard my mom and my dad tried to get me and to tell me that I was doing the wrong thing, I didn't listen until I actually felt the pain. And so sometimes when we feel the pain, we realize that that's just God's way of dispensing grace in our life. Letting us try and fail on our own and then go back to listening to Him again. There's three misconceptions conceptions about grace, number two in your outline. Good works do not make God love me more. Good works do not make God love me more. In other words, we already touched on this a little bit. No matter how good you are, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, God will not love you any more than what He loves you right now. In other words, you can be a saint. You can be Billy Graham Jr., right? And God's not going to love you any more than what He loves you right now today. 
But the good news is that no matter what you do or how bad you are, God will not love you any less either. Why? Because God's love is unconditional. It is 100% unconditional in your life. It does not hinge on what you do or do not do, what you have or do not have. What it hinges on is that God's person is a person of love. And God loves you unconditionally. And you can take that to the bank. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us anymore and nothing that we can do to make God love us any less because God's love is perfect. And the Bible says that love endures forever. Amen? Romans 11.6 says, And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. And if it were, grace would no longer be grace. So in other words, if we can earn our salvation, then all of a sudden grace, instead of being something that's unearned, unmerited favor of God, as the cell phone said, right? Isn't that what the cell phone says? We have to believe the cell phone, right? Unearned, unmerited favor of God. Then all of a sudden it would be only if you live according to a strict set of rules. Only if you tote the line, then God will love you. How many of you have kids out there? How many of you love your kids? How many of you have ever had a kid that made a mistake? And you love them anyway, right? Did you quit loving them because of their mistakes? Well, folks, we're children of God. We're children of God. And if by grace, and it is no longer by works, and if it were, grace would no longer be grace. Good works do not make God love me more. Number two, grace gives me a license to do whatever I want. Wow, that's sort of like the opposite, huh? We can't earn grace, right? But then, grace, does it give me a license to do whatever I want? Does that mean, oh, well, I'm going to go rob a bank today because I really like the money and I know God's going to forgive me anyway, right? Have you ever thought that way? Maybe not on robbing a bank, but what about on other little decisions that we make in life? What about on the little things like... Um, for instance, maybe, maybe telling an off-color joke. How many of you have ever told an off-color joke? And we're being honest. Come on. All right. And if we haven't told one, we've heard one, right? And we sort of giggled at it, right? <laughs> Grace doesn't give us a license to do whatever we want. We can't go around robbing banks and killing people and all that in the name of God because... We're covered by grace. That doesn't work that way. What we do is we drive the grace out of our life when we live that kind of life. Because we're going to find out in closing that you see, as a soldier that dispensed the grace upon me, the many of them, but the one in, in, in that I was talking about, as he gave his life... I didn't ask him to. I didn't even know him. I didn't earn it. And yet he gave it anyway. But in order for me to receive that grace, you know what I had to do? I had to live in this country, didn't I? 
I had to live here in the United States of America. I had to be a part of the United States of America in order to receive the grace of Him laying down His life for me. And in order for us to receive the grace of Jesus Christ, we have to be a part of Him. Amen? And to be a part of Him means we have to live in Him. Number three of the misconceptions about grace is that grace resolves natural consequences of our actions. You know, that doesn't happen. Simple illustration is the little H's all over my backside. Grace doesn't cover those up. Those scars stay forever. Every one of us in this room wears some kind of scars. Amen? And although that we're all headed for heaven and we're headed for glory, if we believe in Jesus Christ and put our trust and our faith in Him, we still wear the battle scars that we've earned along the way. The natural consequences of our actions are going to stay with us. So in other words, if you go rob a bank and you get caught, guess what? You're going to be looking at some little bars in front of your face for a very long time. God's grace doesn't cover that. The natural consequences of our sins stay with us. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, if you want to go rob a bank, be prepared to go to jail. Don't sit there and say, Oh, God's going to forgive me and make it all right. No, God's going to forgive you if you ask Him. And you'll get to go to heaven right after you get out of jail. So in closing this morning, what I want you to do, as you've learned about grace today, I want you to think about the soldier. The soldier and the little girl, she's sitting there crying, she's saying, Daddy, I can't even remember you anymore. And I mean, that broke my heart when she said that, because if there's one thing I want, is I want my kids to remember me. I want my grandkids to remember me. I want to be remembered. I want the lessons that I had the opportunity to teach them to ring in their ears for their whole life and to sit back and say, oh, I love my grandpa. I love my dad. That man gave it all. He gave all that he had so that I could enjoy the freedoms that I enjoy in this country. And I accept that from him, humbly. Yet if I was to pack up my bags and move to a different country, to join a different team, would His grace apply to me? Certainly not. So this morning, if you want to receive God's grace, if you want to have that kind of grace in your life and the kind of victory in your life that that can bring, you have to be on God's team. You have to be on God's team. And that comes simply by trusting in Jesus Christ. Because as we studied number two, grace comes from Jesus Christ. It's the only way God dispenses grace is through our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ.
If you choose to be on a different team this morning, then don't expect the grace of God to come into your life. But if you choose to be on Christ's team, then expect heaven to open up and God's blessing and His mercy and His grace to flow into your life and to forever change who you are. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank You for Your Word today. Father, it's my prayer if there's one here today that doesn't know You as Lord and Savior, that today be the day that You speak to their heart, that You open up their heart, Lord, that You become real to them. And Lord, that they move in to Your grace and to Your love and to Your mercy. Father, for everybody in here, I thank You for each one. Father, I just ask that You... Just give them the best week they've ever had. Pour your love out among us. Empower us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.